following is a presentation of Learfield IMG College. From the Georgia Southern Sports Network, powered by Learfield IMG College. Wings up, Eagle Nation! Touchdown, Georgia Southern! This is Inside Eagle Nation, your all-access look into Eagle Athletics. Taking a look through all the other action in Georgia Southern Athletics this past week, a lot of road action, a lot of teams hitting the old I-16 out of town. Getting on the steel horse and taking us to parts north, south, west, wherever. Can't really go too much farther east. Now let's return to the Learfield IMG College studios. Here are your hosts, Colin Lacey and Danny Reed. That's a fact, Jack. Welcome into another edition of Inside Eagle Nation, episode number 153. A couple of new decorations here in the podcast bunker, I think we've been calling it, but Steve Masterman-Smith hooking us up from the equipment room with a couple of new jerseys. You got David Vitti's old jersey there for men's basketball. We got volleyball, baseball, women's basketball. Get a couple more here in the next little bit. What number is that for baseball? Uh, 21. That would be Hunter Thomas. Yeah, that's absolutely... A lot of a lot of big home runs in that jersey. Yep, yep, yep. Got a busy episode of Inside Eagle Nation this week. Going to be catching up with Chris Adams from Georgia Southern Women's Soccer a little bit later on as they head into the Sunbelt Conference tournament next week. But as we dive through Georgia Southern Athletics, we have to start with women's <laughs> soccer. Well, we have, have to, to do it after a pretty good game on Sunday against the Georgia State Panthers. Ended up being a tied two-two, but they scored two goals in six minutes. We'll talk about that plenty more later on but appreciate you joining us chris oh, thanks for having me when you look at what this season has been for you guys kind of the whole you finished up the regular season nine six and four on the year four three and three in conference play where about did you think you were going to be this time a couple months ago when you took over yeah i think it went uh very well uh, i mean you look at some of the games and uh you know, knew right away that uh, Arkansas State and South Alabama and, and Georgia State had kind of separated themselves slightly from the pack. So those were, uh, you know, going to be really tough matches, um, as, as we saw this past weekend. Um, but I thought, you know, the, the we won the ones that, that we could, um, you know, and, and really got on a roll and accumulated some points in the early part of the season to stay at the top uh, portion of the table. And I think, when you look at the conference tournament format, it was very important that we stay in the top five um, playing for a bye. Him and I sat here a couple of months ago thinking, okay, they were preseason pick ninth, and we thought, okay, with what he's added and what you brought here, that there was no way that was going to happen. To be able to finish fourth as of right now going into the tournament, that's got to be a big pride thing for you. Yeah, I'll, I'll send some gift cards out to the coaches for a lighting a fire, <laughs> s- small brush fire under us uh, with that. Uh, I thought it was perfect. You know, it, you better believe more than once, you know, we've gone to, um, you know, Rodney Dangerfield, don't get any respect. You know? <laughs> um, so pick ninth, we definitely had to, uh, you know, use that a few times as, as obviously, you know, no one respected us and, and we were out to – to get respect, you know, in the league. And, and, and I think if you look at it and where we're at, uh, you know, our games against the top teams, we, we took them all to overtime. And, uh, you know, the one seed, we lost two to one in double overtime. The two seed, we lost three to two in double overtime. We beat the three seed two to nothing. And so I think um, what we've proven is I think we can compete with anybody. And I think that's the important message, uh, the belief that our team has going into the Sun Belt Tournament. 
this year first year here in Statesboro what's been the biggest thing that has surprised you about what Eagle Nation and this soccer program already had when you got here yeah I mean there's definitely a passion and, and a history I mean you go back and you begin to study uh you know really from the very beginning I mean Tom Norton did a fantastic job uh, I had the privilege of of playing uh really two matches I believe it was 95 or 96 I think was the first time we played at Southern um and we you know when I was with the University of Georgia and we won by one goal and felt very fortunate to get out of Statesboro with a one goal victory uh then you know the Eagles came into Georgia uh into Athens the next year and we won I think three to two on that occasion and so um, this is a program that has a lot of pride, has a lot of alumni that have started to reconnect with us. Um, and I think it's really just kind of, you know, maybe getting them reconnected with the program. But there's a lot of people that, that have a passion for Statesboro, have a passion for, for Georgia Southern, and have a passion for soccer. And it's been really neat to see um, some of those people reach out and reconnect. So we'll do everything we can um, in the spring to get that alumni base reconnected with us. You know, it's been 25 years, but – do you have any recollections about what Statesboro was like then from the limited time here and to what it's grown into? Uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, maybe not the most flattering, but uh, where Food World is, I was under the impression that it was like a Kmart or something, and I think they were actually having classes out of uh, that particular <laughs> facility, If I'm, you know, to, to be honest. And so that part I thought was uh, borderline tacky. And so, uh, you know, now to just look at the growth of, of the campus, to look at, you know, the number of students, um, to look at, you know, obviously transition, you know, in football from – you know, FCS to FBS and, you know, making that move, um, you know, it's just I think everything's headed in a positive direction. So that was a long time ago. Um, it was a very short, short stay. But, uh, you know, luckily uh, a lot has changed. But we did play. The scoreboard is still up at our practice field. <laughs> that was utilized on that occasion, um, I, I, I will point out. We've got to talk travel. And ever since we've been getting trying to get you on here, We've talked about your travel this season. You've had some crazy trips. You start with the first one. You go to Ole Miss on Sunday, September 19th, and that's one that we talked about was a good kind of barometer of how much this program had grown. You played them in the spring when you got those couple of matches that you were able to have, and then you stay out there all the way to the following Thursday and play Arkansas State and then that Little Rock game on Sunday. What was that trip like? And being a first-year coach, I got to imagine the bonding has got to be a big part of that. Yeah, that was one thing we wanted to get out of it. Um, we really had a lot of goals to accomplish. One is we wanted to get stretched. And, I mean, Ole Miss, you know, beat us 3 nothing when we played them in the spring, and it, it wasn't that close, I'm, I'm here to tell you. I mean, 11 out of 11 positions, they just bullied us around the field. And we realized real quick, um, you know, that, that – uh, Scott Shipman had it, had his work cut out for him, but uh, you know, fast forward to this fall, and so that game we lose two to one, um, a very competitive match. Um, I think it shows just the progress that we've made. So that was one thing. The other thing is, you know, this tournament format is very challenging, and so you're going to play. Uh, you know, even with the bye, you still would play Wednesday, Friday, Sunday in order to win a game. And so really what I was doing indirectly was emulating the conference tournament because you got to go on the road, you got to win, you got to play multiple times. And so really, as I set it up, it was designed to prepare us for this conference tournament where we're on the road, we got to play multiple games, and we've got to deal with, with all the variables that go along with that. And so 
that was really what we were looking to accomplish. You know, maybe we didn't get quite the results we, we wanted. We did get a lot of opportunity to bond, definitely grew closer together. Um, and, you know, my frequent flyer miles are and, and well, bus miles actually are, are <laughs> off the off the charts. Speaking of bus, that takes <laughs> us to our next one. The beginning of October, you play on a Thursday, Sunday at home on Thursday and then ULM on that Sunday. Which why that's a thing we can don't have to get into, but that Sunday you're trying to get to ULM. Actually, that Saturday you're trying to get to ULM. You're supposed to fly out early from Savannah, and I'm just gonna let you go with this story because I think you know it and tell it a lot better than I do. Well, uh, you know when you're got a 6 a.m. flight, uh, you got to be at the airport pretty early. Um, so um, when the bus driver oversleeps uh you don't make it to the to the airport quite in the timeliest of fashion and so uh here we show up for a six o'clock flight at 5 20 to the airport um are not allowed to get on our flight uh you know the i guess just the uh all the volume from the 12 gates at the savannah airport was just you know <laughs> security you can imagine how busy security is at, at a small airport at that time of day um, but for whatever reason they they chose not to accommodate us and not allow us to get on that flight only being 40 minutes before um, then they come back and proceed with the a scroll of papers to say there's no way for us to get you to monroe louisiana today you're going to have to find another way to get there so 5.30 in the morning, I'm uh, brainstorming. <laughs> good morning to try, you. Yeah, good morning for sure. I'm brainstorming away and, uh, you know, um, have a couple different alternatives, you know, rent some vehicles and drive ourselves, which was not a real attractive plan. And then uh, get Chris Davis on the horn and uh, get him brainstorming with me a, a little after six that morning. Well, he's already been uh, up for seven hours at that point. So yeah, were... yeah, for sure. For sure. The guy doesn't sleep. But uh, so all of a sudden, you know, um, a few things come together where, uh, you know, a bus is actually heading towards the airport um, to take the team that had played against Tormenta the previous night, Omaha, to the airport in like an hour, hour and a half. Um, so um, we're going to get on this bus from Omaha when the Omaha group drops off, we're going to get on this bus. And then another person is cleaning a bus for us. And then, oh, there's no drivers because 43 buses were out for high school football the previous <laughs> night. So now they have to find a driver. Well, luckily, Roger Inman comes to the rescue and he's over tailgating because it's a home football day. <laughs> and so uh, Roger uh, agrees to take us to Monroe, Louisiana. So um, I put that in, proceed to put that in my phone and it says 11 hours and nine minutes from the Savannah airport. So uh, a joyous drive. And, you know, the bus driver rules are you can drive 10 hours hours in a 15 hour day so roger has to meet us you know down the road a ways um and so we pick roger up and meet him in dublin and the guy that had dropped uh off the soccer team for tormenta proceeds to get take us to the bus depot change to the cleaned out bus drive us to dublin and then him and roger swap out and roger takes us the rest of the way so we arrive oh uh pretty late that night uh central time i think it was nine or ten i think that night um we played we had moved the game up to accommodate our flights um and so basically we were playing at 11 a.m central time so we got in 10 or 11 o'clock uh didn't get to practice that day because we had a one o'clock practice time 
Um, had to do the scouting report at breakfast the next morning, so didn't get any chance to practice it. And our kids just showed up, scored two early goals. We win two to nothing. Um, just a great, you know, uh, great uh, model of just handling adversity and just, you know, not allowing uh, all of the adversity that struck uh, on that occasion to, to distract us from the task at hand and, and just very proud of them um, for that uh, trip that we will never forget. And you've had so much fun up to this point. You decide to forget that airline thing to come home. We're just going to ride with Roger. Yeah. I mean, that's how we roll. <laughs> you know, that's how we roll at that point. You know, uh, the airlines didn't want to accommodate us, and, and Roger had uh, had dropped everything for us. So, you know, we ended up actually getting home about an hour and a half earlier than we would have if we would have flown. <laughs> and crazy, awesome. crazy enough, um, you know, I got a uh, – we had had to divide on the trip back – between two airlines which will remain nameless um and and basically um one of the airlines was delayed out of dallas so we were on the bus riding back and i got that the flights out of dallas were delayed and so we were going to have to uh, i think those flights one of them was going to make it back and the other one wasn't so then we had the issue of how we were going to get back um, from the atlanta airport on two different airlines so uh yeah very memorable uh very memorable trip for sure well we've had roger on for eagle tales in this podcast to talk about the beginnings of georgia southern and everything that he's experienced what seems like since 1912 i can imagine you heard a lot of stories on that trip with roger uh yeah yeah most <laughs> definitely um from you know when they when he built the field you right. know um so i know pretty much everything With these two hands Chris, I, I these two hands i mean i know everything that's underneath there i think i know the uh you know raindrops <laughs> per minute you know that it can it can suffice uh you know i actually heard from bill bryan our bus driver this week that uh roger is cooking this friday so uh you know yeah. put that on put that on the docket it's homecoming. Um, of course he is. You know, oh, that's so you know he's definitely cooking so you know so he's, he's a man of many many uh hats and many trades but uh you know what a great guy what a what a georgia southern historian fast forward to this sunday you go to georgia state it ends up in a 2-2 tie in double overtime but at one point in this game you're down two nothing and within six minutes is when you tie it up take us through what this game looks like from the coaching seat of scoring that quickly in those six minutes and being able to force that tie against the georgia state team that you talked about earlier at the beginning of the season, it's when you kind of circled that you knew that this was going to be a pretty good team to go up against. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I have to start in the first half. I mean, the first half we showed up to play. I mean, we had played double overtime in, in you know, South Alabama. And, and oh, by the way, uh, Georgia State was on a bye Thursday, so they were just sitting around waiting for us. Um, first half we outshot them 10-3. to 3. You know, we've got to develop a killer instinct to put people away when we, we dominate them that way. We didn't. And then, lo and behold, pretty early on in the second half, you know, they strike and get a goal, followed up with a pretty good second goal from them. Now you're down 2 nothing, And I looked at the scoreboard, and I think at the time we, we were out shooting them 20-something to, you know, 12 or something. Like, we definitely um, felt like we had controlled the match, but here you're down 2 nothing. Um, the kids just kept fighting, kept believing. You know, there was never any quit in them. Um, we started getting, you know, a little panicky at one point, um, just realizing we were starting to run out of time. But then, you know, we get that first goal, and, and there's like five minutes and 44 seconds left. 
I think within a minute we get the next goal, um, both off corner kicks, which is just something that this group has been amazing at. And so next thing you know, you know, we're, we're – we're 2-2 and we're in the match. We actually scored a game winner, but it was called back for being offside. So um, just great character on our kids' part. I mean, they could have made excuses when it was 2 nothing. They could have packed the tent. Um, but once again, you know, they just kept fighting and, and found a way, which is just, you know, they've done that more times than not this season and just very proud of their fight. You know, to think about that second goal coming from Maddie, she hadn't scored all year for a senior to do that against Georgia State at the end of the regular season. That's a moment. Yeah, she she got up. She got up on that one. I uh, thought she was going to dunk it for a second there. Um, and she actually headed one off the crossbar um, about midway through. And so, you know, she had she had hit one that hit the crossbar and went over um, just previous. And this one, she made sure she got up um, and just jumped over everybody and, and, and headed it in the, you know, still in the top portion of the goal. Um, but it was just, you know, very good timing for her to net that um, goal and, and, and put us right back in the game and, and get a, a very critical point that, that helped us, you know, gain a bye for the conference tournament. You and I have talked about it before, how good this team has been off of set pieces. It's something that you are known for up at North Georgia as well. But what is it? What's a key to being really good at a set piece in soccer? You calling a set piece you? If you want to, we can <laughs> no, do it. Uh, no. Make a shirt. Uh, uh, Put it on a shirt. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. I, I tell you, it, it starts – it starts with the service. I mean, if you've got people that can serve the ball and put the ball in the same place and you know where the ball is going, now you can hunt, you know. And, and so I think it starts with that. We've got three people that can serve the ball, uh, and really even more than that, to be honest. But, you know, three primary people who serve the ball for us. Uh, you know, Marcella Montoya is one of them. Um, it's a very good in-swinging corner. Um, you know, Taylor Regisberger hits the one on the left side being left-footed and, and hits end swingers. And, um, you know, we found a corner that, that works for us. And, and I think, you know, I guess the, the bad news is, you know, we've scored 12 goals in conference play um, and 10 of them are offset pieces. And so we've only <laughs> scored two in the run of play. Um, but, you know, so it's, it's bad that we're not scoring in the run of play. Um, but, you know, we've been scouted you know umpteen times and we're at the end of the season you know we, we scored two set pieces off south owl and we scored two set pieces off georgia's you know georgia state so you know even though they know what's coming when we execute you know properly i think um we've just got a team that that just hunts i mean megan prisby the center back she has four goals off corners this year which is fantastic you know for a defender to have four goals is is virtually unheard of and so um, so just something we found that we're good at. Um, obviously, people are, you know, scouting it and trying to stop it. So we've got to do a little bit better in the run of play and score a few more goals um, in that fashion. But, uh, you know, we're going to be who we are and we're going to continue to, you know, work on work on set pieces and make sure that, that we make those count for us. You look ahead to the Sunbelt Conference Tournament a week from Wednesday. You will take on Georgia State in that 4-5 matchup. You get the bye, week, or the bye game in the first round. The whole bracket's not necessarily firmed up yet. You still have one more game, ULM and Troy, coming up this Thursday before everything gets announced and everything is formalized. But you know that a week from Wednesday, you'll be taking on Georgia State again in that 4-5 game. When you're going into your first Sunbelt Conference Tournament, what's the biggest thing you look for from this team? Yeah, I mean, we talked about before, you know, part of part of what you're doing in the regular season is giving yourself an optimal opportunity to advance. So at this point, 
it's win or go home. And so really what we wanted to do was, you know, by getting the bye, in essence, we advanced already. And so the work that we did during the season, we advanced and get a bye on Monday, which is great. Um, now, you know, we want to win a game to advance, and that's been our goal all along. And so, um, you know, it being a 2-2 tie, we, we need to settle and need to finish that result. And so um, I think it's a game that our kids are excited to get the opportunity. They felt like, you know, we just ran out of time um, last time and, and felt like, you know, if we'd have finished our chances in the first half, it would have been a very different game. So uh, right now, just one game at a time. Um, you know, you got to look at that game. If you don't win it, there's no tomorrow. And so we'll, we'll focus and put all our effort and energy um, on getting a result, uh, you know, against Georgia State on, on Wednesday um, in the late game that evening. Now, he's already scouted Foley. He knows all about Lambert's Cafe. You're a good man. My wife's from near Sykeston, so I've I've been to the original. I've I've caught a, a many a roll. I mean, <laughs> caught a roll or two in your day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fat guys don't fail cooking. <laughs> Amen to that. Chris, really appreciate your time. Congratulations on what has been a really good year for this Georgia Southern women's soccer team, and really congratulations and good luck going forward in the Sun Belt tourney. Yeah, thanks to you guys, all the all the publicity and pub. We we appreciate it and. Uh, you know, hail Southern, go Eagles. Really good to be able to talk to some really good people, okay. and Chris Adam definitely falls into that one. Well, especially someone that is so well-versed in Lambert's Cafe. I mean, when somebody knows Lambert's, because we had to educate Chad Willis on it when they were going to Foley for the Sunbelt Tournament. And he was very accepting to no, it. No, 100%. He, was, he, he, was, he bought in. Yeah. He bought in quickly, but he had to be educated. But see, they got to play the checkers. they got to play checkers first after putting your name on a list and waiting for 45 minutes. Oh, that's right. I Get forgot couple, about the life-size checkers. It, while it was raining, so we had to make sure we had... I think I still have that picture on my phone. We, we had to make sure we had weather clearance yeah. to play our game of checkers. Well, multiple game, games of checkers. Then we got in just so much... I want to say every license plate you could imagine. <laughs> just huge inside. And when they say they throw the dinner rolls at you, they throw the yeah, dinner rolls at you. this is not a toss. This isn't a gentle little... Okay, here. and these aren't wiffle balls. These are <laughs> these are dense. No, these are soft. So you need some mitts to be able to hang on to these. <laughs> I'm not talking. You might need a literal catcher's mitt, but at the same time, you need to make sure your hands are ready to get what they're throwing at you. It's fantastic. If you're ever in Foley, Alabama, I know we've talked about this place so many times, but make sure you go to Lambert's Cafe. And it's... hopefully, you don't have to do it because of a rainout against uh, <laughs> South Alabama. But whatever way you could get there, get there. Whatever works. That's right. So we dive throughout the rest of Georgia Southern Athletics. Georgia Southern men's soccer had two matches this week. They tied on Thursday, one to one against number twenty-one in the country, Northern Illinois. Got a point in Sunbelt Conf or in MAC play rather to keep their MAC tournament dreams alive. And then they fell 3-0 to Western Michigan on Saturday. They will face number 25, West Virginia, the only match this week. It'll be on Sunday at Eagle Field, a 1 p.m. kickoff on Sunday against West Virginia. One news note coming out from men's golf. Ben Carr was named to the Haskins Award watch list. That is the, Shocker. the Heisman of golf, yeah. as they call it. The top collegiate golfer in the country gets this award, and it's pretty much the Heisman of golf. Uh, he's top eight in all four of his fall matches. He won out in Johnson City not too long ago. He is really becoming something special. He's always been good. Yeah. He was at the tail end of the Stephen Fisk era. Yeah. And now that it's his team, 
I'm really impressed by him. I had a chance to visit with him a couple of summers ago during the COVID interview pieces to see how athletes were adapting to the new normal, but also still being able to stick with their sports. He was a treat and really, really happy for him. And I think that the spring he has a chance to do something that hasn't been done very often here. No doubt. Definitely a special person and a special athlete here for Georgia Southern men's golf. And when you're under Carter Collins, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that. Get your, there's your one for the day, Carter. It's it's at least one every show. (laughs) Georgia Southern rifle. Good weekend as they defeated UAB on Saturday with a school record 46-12 aggregate. Ashley Judson set a career high in the second highest in school history with a 578 in small bore. They will host number one Alaska Fairbanks on Thursday at the Shooting Sports Education Center. One, I didn't think that Alaska Fairbanks would be number one in the country. I didn't. I don't know why, but I also didn't expect to see Alaska Fairbanks on the schedule for anything Georgia Southern. Well, it's funny you say that because Beds Basketball has played them before. Well, how about it? They began a season Hopefully up there. at home. I want to say it was oh, four. No, it was up there. Oh, boy. It was the part when the Great Alaska Shootout was still a thing. I ah. think it was back in oh, 04. Gotcha. And, but they're Division Two in most of their sports. But this is one of the ones where they're actually right. Division One. It's like what Dallas Baptist is. Their baseball is D1, but everything else is D2. You can watch that one on Twitch. Have you gotten your Twitch account yet? We've talked about the Twitch. It keeps slipping my mind. Well, okay. I was on a horse this weekend. I had a lot of other <laughs> things don't, to think about. Don't think we're not going to get to that. That's There's fine. a lot to get to with that. that. That's fine. <laughs> on Sunday, the <laughs> rifle will also head to Wofford for a Halloween match in Spartanburg. Georgia Southern Volleyball, after falling 3 to nothing to Little Rock on Friday, bounced back with a big-time 3 nothing victory over Arkansas State on Saturday. They will remain home this week. Friday, 6 p.m., the first serve against Texas State, and then Sunday... They will have a noon serve against UT Arlington. I would have expected that to go the other way if they were going to split, but to me, that victory against Arkansas State, especially sweeping them, yeah. that's a good win. Yeah, and that Arkansas State, it looks like a 3 nothing, and that can be deceiving at times because those were really highly contested sets, but do win all three to get the sweep over the Arkansas State Red Wolves. Had a bye week for Georgia Southern football this week, so nothing to really recap for that. Did get to spend a little bit of time at the press conference with Kevin Whitley earlier today. And one thing that he talked about, and we kind of alluded to it a little bit last week, but after South Alabama, he told Russ in the postgame that he's going to find 22 guys that want to play the game of football. And then he talked about this morning at the press conference, this afternoon I should say, that this past week, there may be a, may have been more hitting at a Georgia Southern practice than he has seen in quite a while. And we prefaced that a little bit. We didn't know exactly what it was going to look like, but there was not only more hitting in individual periods, which you hardly ever see. Most of the time, it's just on air or against dummies. But even in those team periods where it was good on good, one-on-one, two-on-two, stuff you mostly only see during fall camp, But that's the kind of things that an interim head coach needs to see so he could figure out what team he's going to put on the field. Now, a lot of guys were out due to injury last week, and some of that could have been maintenance, but some of it Coach talked about earlier today on the press conference was legitimate, and we'll see if the extra R&R gets them back to a chance where they can play this weekend because we know who's on the other end of the week. Homecoming week for Georgia Southern football against the Georgia State Panthers. Where do we start with that one? (laughs) Uh, The fact that it's homecoming week, I think. But you look at a Georgia State team coming off 
two victories in their last two games. Got the victory over Texas State this past weekend up in Atlanta, 28-16, and then beat ULM at Monroe, 55-21, two weeks ago. And that's a ULM team that's yeah. rolling a little bit. <laughs> How about that? They're 4-3. Good. ULM's 4-3. We'll get to them a little bit more when we kind of recap what That's the Sunbelt Conference looks like. Good for them, though. Yeah, wow. no doubt. No doubt. And good for Nick White, Mike Hammett, two of the best people. I also saw that Coach Bowden dressed up in gold chains. and Look, he's got them playing the way that they are. Yeah, he, he can, can dress however he wants to. He I don't wants. care. It's all about it. You can find that one on social media. Yeah. It, it's, it's a treat. But Georgia State comes in 3-4, and 2-1 and one in Sunbelt Conference play. And we've talked about it. For whenever we're previewing, looking at Georgia State, their quarterback situation confuses the heck out of me. Darren Granger has come in, the redshirt junior, transferred in from Furman a couple of years ago. At one point was a SoCon all-freshman team. He's come in and this year thrown for over 700 yards, almost 800 yards. 11 touchdowns, just three interceptions. Quad Brown has not been the Quad Brown that we saw a year ago. He was the starter at the beginning of the season. Quad Brown was. First two games, yeah. Obviously. Came in, did what he did last year. Over 2,700 career passing yards. He is going to be the starter. How about it? And we mentioned that. We said, look, for all the quarterback that get mentioned, the Grace McCalls, the Chase Bryces, all this, the Levi Lewis's, Quad Brown's. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was in that discussion. No doubt about he it. He wasn't even getting his due, but the fact that we saw what he did against Georgia Southern, throwing oh, for, for 372, sure. he led them to the comeback in the fourth quarter, and we thought, okay, if there is a reason why Georgia State is better this year, it's because of Quad Brown, but it hasn't turned out to work like that. And so you can call it the quote-unquote sophomore slump in his second real season of running that offense for Georgia State, but Darren Granger has taken over. You still are going to see Quad Brown in spurts, at times, which, and this is going to sound awful, why, I'm not really sure. And even Sean Elliott has come out and said that he does not want a two-quarterback system. He's had to a couple of times just because of what Quad Brown has done and how Darren Granger has emerged. Yeah, I would expect it to be mostly Granger, but that's the thing. Mostly is not entirely. Right. For somebody like Quad, who did what he did last year, Regardless of whether three says he's going to take all the snaps, you've got to be ready at some point that Quad Brown might be available for this game. And that's weird to think about, but just because of what he's done in the past against the Eagles, you have to be ready for both of them. And this is the third or fourth time that Georgia Southern has seen the quote-unquote backup quarterback is the starter from a year ago that has 2,000-plus passing yards. And I don't know how many times Georgia Southern has had to prepare for the backup quarterback, not as a backup quarterback, but as a legitimate option for their opponent. FAU, Troy, South. Arkansas State. Lane Hatcher is now kind of the guy since James Blackman's been hampered with injury. Now, granted, a year ago, Georgia Southern did play against a team's backup quarterback three times. So maybe it works in the other direction. Last year, you're thinking it's only going to be the starter. Oh, they have another quarterback, so we got to get ready for him. Now you've almost got to condition yourself to say, well, they've got this one, but it's kind of a 1A, 1B situation where you've got to know about both of them. It- their quarterback situation just boggles my mind. You know, Build-wise, very similar. I think Quad Brown's got a couple of pounds on Granger, and that's yeah. not necessarily a bad thing. But watching Granger a couple of games, 
I, I think he's pretty solid. Oh, he's, no doubt. I'm and he's impressed. a better running threat than Quad Brown. As he ran for over 100 yards against Texas State last Saturday, he has started their last five. And you've got to remember the history here because Georgia State hosted Furman at the beginning of 2019. Granger tore Georgia State up yeah. while he was a Paladin. Four touchdowns. He was the Stats yeah. FCS National Freshman of the Week. They were up three scores in that game. Georgia State came back to win, but don't think that that didn't factor into him. Hey, <laughs> why don't you come on so we can have you on our team? We don't have to worry about you anymore. It's kind of the Braves and Adam Duvall type deal. We don't hey. want to see you hitting those bombs as a Marlin. Hey, we Come on back. By the way, congratulations to you and all the Braves oh. fans. I, I know we'll get to that too, but congratulations. Oh, we'll get to that. Very uh, yeah. Calm down. Yeah, just enjoy it. Yeah, we're okay. Just, just, just enjoy it. We're not supposed to be yeah, here. 61 and 101 over here. You enjoy <laughs> it. <laughs> enjoy it, all right. <laughs> True. All right. <laughs> In addition to Granger and Quad Brown, a lot of weapons for this Georgia State offense. You look at the running back room, four different guys have the ability to touch the ball. Yeah. <laughs> Destin Coates is the guy that, again, coming into the season, you thought he was going to kind of be the runaway, but Tucker Gregg has kind of emerged as, quote-unquote, the go-to guy. Between that and Jamias Williams, who has four rushing touchdowns on the season to lead the team, it, 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 it's kind of a Georgia Southern situation where you throw any of the three or four of them, you throw Marcus Carroll into that, you, you, you're not necessarily losing a whole lot depending on who's in the game. Coming into the season, this was designed to be Destin Coates' offense with Greg sprinkled in, with Williams sprinkled in, right. and Carroll just here and there. But because Coates had ball security issues two of the first three games, he had a 64-yard run against Charlotte, which should have gone for a touchdown, fumbled inside the 10. He really hasn't been seen since. He's carried it, I think it's been 22 times in the last five games. So he has been benched. He's not hurt. This is a benching. And ever since Tucker Gregg has become the guy, he's been phenomenal. Former walk-on Chatsworth, Murray County, some place where Billy Napier is from. He ran for 150 against Auburn, showed more speed than people were expecting, and he carries the ball like every carry is his last, like he's trying to earn that position every time because he's got Jamias Williams, who's nipping at his heels, and he had two touchdowns against Texas State, and who knows, they might be able to use Marcus Carroll a little bit more, but you've got to have so much respect for Tucker Gregg, yeah. somebody that walked on, according to Sean Elliott, basically sold himself to be able to get on this team, and he's been on the roster for four years. We've seen his name on our two deeps, but it's been somebody that's just been the junk time guy, the yeah. carry here and there guy, not the somebody that's a 15 to 20 touch guy. And that's what he's become. He's the bell cow now. Yeah, I I really like Tucker Gregg. Being able to watch a little bit of film earlier on today, I really like him because, like you said, we've seen his name. You just haven't necessarily seen him on the field. He may have a couple of carries every game, but yeah. it's not. it's more to spell whoever the main guy is. It's not you're putting him in to do damage. That Texas State game swung because of him because it was 14-13 at the half, early third quarter. Georgia State had a fourth and one. Greg was stopped about two yards behind the line of scrimmage. Nobody could wrap him up because he's just got one of those. He's not nearly as big as Logan Wright, but one yeah. of those frames where you just don't know what you're going to grab when you try to tackle him. Not only did he get out of the pile, throw a vicious stiff arm to pick up 14. Three plays later, Georgia State was in the end zone, and they were never seriously threatened after that. Now, that was early in the third quarter, but that's a microcosm of what he has meant to that running back room for a team that's 10th in the country and rushing, and that's with Destin Coates not being a factor for more than a month. That's wild to me. You've got a lot of guys wide receiver-wise. Sam Pinckney's back. Cornelius McCoy is back. You've got Terrence Dixon. 
so many different guys that you can throw the ball to, but somebody that I've liked for a while now, Roger Carter at tight end. And he loves him some Georgia Southern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Well, not great for Georgia Southern, no, but he no, loves him some Georgia Southern. But he is what I love in a tight end because he can both block. And he can be that wide receiver type tight end. Yeah. I, I really like Roger Carter, and obviously Georgia Southern has seen what he can do. But he is somebody that, I don't know. There's a couple people around the league, and I don't like that it's a Georgia State guy, but there's a couple of people around the league. We talk about Carlton Marshall a lot with Troy, Levi Lewis with Louisiana. There's a couple of people yeah. around the league. You're just like, I don't like that guy. And this is the fifth straight year that he's been a starter. Because yeah. of the COVID year, he got the chance to come yeah, back. Yeah, have seen he's, his name enough. He scored his first career touchdown against Georgia Southern in Statesboro four years ago. That was part of the comeback when they were down 17-7, ended up winning at 21-17. Penny Hart had the late touchdown in the season that we'd all like to forget. But he has been there because he just keeps getting better. Now, he changed his number, so you might not recognize him. He's not an Isaiah Likely. Granted, there's not very many people in no. the country that are I don't think he's that far off because no. he can block like a fullback, but he has got the strength and speed of somebody that you wouldn't expect the way he can work the edges. And thinking back to all those previous Georgia Southern, Georgia State games, where have the Eagles really been hurt on defense? The middle of the field. Yeah. And it's been the tight end that has just destroyed Georgia Southern's pass defense. And the thing that I think makes him so dynamic, you talk about the speed that he has and the strength that he has, but a lot of times you're having to cover him with a linebacker and there's not a whole lot of linebackers that are going to be able to match up one-on-one -on -one with him. I don't know if there's one in the league that can. Marshall maybe, but even then he's given up a lot of strength. I mean, Marshall's only 5'9", Roger Carter 6'2". Yeah. So you're giving away five inches right off the get. Yeah, so I mean, there's not... If there is a linebacker in the league, there's not many of them. And you don't want to forget Aubrey Payne, who had two touchdowns against ULM. He scored last week against Texas State. He, he likes to he likes to talk a little bit. He had one of their three unsportsmanlike penalties last week. But he has been very outspoken about his role in this team. you got to remember, he came in to this program with Brad Glenn, the OC. They both came from Western Carolina, and we know how much Glenn, his systems are geared towards quarterbacks. Dan Ellington, Quad Brown, now Darren Granger. But for Payne... You got the feeling that he is always going to be involved somehow because of the comfort level that those two have with each other. Yeah, no doubt. Flip it over to the defensive side for Georgia State. And this line is really good. And a lot like Georgia Southern, you've got six, seven, eight deep that this line can go and constantly changing in whenever you've got substitution options. And so you've got a lot of guys, again, that you've seen year after year, Dante Wilson, Hardrick Willis, Trey Moore, mm -hmm. so many guys that you've seen time after time again, and you go six, seven, eight deep with them. And I'm not so sure my favorite guy on that D-line isn't Thomas Gore, the third string D-tackle. Oh, no doubt. Because he plays a lot for being the number three D-tackle. It seems whenever he is in the game, he is on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Yes, very much so. Now, Wilson and Willis are two all-conference guys. They're going to get the marquee. But Thomas Gore is somebody that you can easily forget about with his size. It's strange to say it that way. But whenever he is in, if you don't account for him, he's going to hurt you. No, and he's somebody six foot 270, but just a redshirt sophomore. And so he, you kind of feel naturally he's going to be the guy that takes over for Wilson, who's a senior, for Willis, who's a redshirt senior. He's yeah. going to be the guy that fills that void in a year or two whenever those guys are gone. 
it's a very good front. And for yeah. them consistently, if you want one unit that has consistently performed well since Nate Fuqua took over as D coordinator, it's that D line. Now, yeah. they've had their spurts in the secondary and at linebacker, but that D line has been so solid for about four years now. Really similar story as far as linebackers and secondary goes. You've got the same kind of cast of characters. Blake Carroll at inside linebacker up the middle for Georgia State. So many different guys. Quavian White in that cornerback role. Somebody that had six interceptions a year ago hasn't picked one off yet, but really showed you what he can do. That's the one we've got to be wary of on Saturday because Quavian White was injured in the second quarter against Texas State, and he didn't come back. But his backup, Jalen Jones, had the interception in the fourth quarter that helped seal the game. You had a miscommunication between Brady McBride and Marcel Barbie. There was also some sun, I think, that there was some contention that the sun getting Barbie's eyes did he run the wrong route. Well, either way, he ran in. The ball went to the sideline. Jalen Jones came up with the interception. If White does not start, he's also their punt and kick returner, even though they don't, they don't do very much of that. If he does not start, Jones would slide over across from Brightquist Brown. Yeah, and that's something that we've got to touch on and we talked about it a little bit last year, but it seems like it's more prevalent this year that they don't return. As almost by design because Sean Elliott is an analytics guy. It's almost like the, oh, what's the head coach that went to Presbyterian that doesn't Kevin kick? Kelly. Yeah, he doesn't kick. They do the opposite of it. So I would love to see a game between Presbyterian and Georgia State. Lord, oh, there would be no special teams in that one. I think that that would be really, really bad for Presbyterian. Uh, yes, but... Unfortunately, it just would be. Just for a story, that sounds fantastic. They fair catch everything. If it's over their head, they don't even try to touch it. They're dead last in the country in kickoff return yards because in their minds, they don't want to have to worry about returning a kickoff and they can just take it at the 25 because the analytics have told Sean Elliott, if we consistently start drives at the 25, we don't have to worry about starting one at the 13. So if they could feel like they can get it every time at the 25. But then somebody else would say, well, let's ground kick it and make them run it back. But if you're not ready for it, then that can cause other issues. But I will be interested to see how Britton Williams handles his kickoffs. Yeah, and we've seen Britton, and Terry's talked about it a lot, of trying to get it in the corner where goal line meets sideline. You've seen a couple of them go out of bounds, but the last couple of weeks have been pretty good of trying to land it right there at that goal line, the two-yard line, yeah. somewhere in that vicinity. I say make them run it out, but with the fair catch rule that got put in place a couple of years ago, you don't have to run anything out anymore. If, if you can make a word situation, though, and make the returner think about catching the ball instead of thinking about making the fair catch, you don't make the fair catch signal. you got to run it out. Yeah. Keep it in the field of play. Do something different. He'll realize, oh, I didn't do it. They only have, I think, 11 kickoff return yards all year. So if you have to do something that they don't want to do, Maybe you can steal a possession like we've been hearing Terry say a lot the last few weeks. And in George Southern's case, when you're 2-5, and five, you do need to steal some possessions. It'll be a 6 o'clock kickoff to cap off homecoming week. A lot of festivities throughout the week around campus. But it'll culminate with a 6 o'clock kickoff between Georgia Southern and Georgia State. We'll be on the air with the Cutwater Tailgate Show starting at 4 o'clock. Got a couple of guests coming on. Going to have Spence Mullis from Morris Bank on. They're the presenting sponsor of the Georgia State game, with it being a blue out, bleed blue, bank blue, kind of makes sense. Of course, yeah, absolutely. Could be a pullover weather. Oh, yeah. yeah. Get, get you some, know I love me some pullovers. I like me some pullovers, too. Now, before we wrap this week's edition up, last week we talked about during the bye week, you and Daryl Lynn were heading up to Jasper, mm -hmm. was it? 
going to spend a couple of days in the in a cabin and you were going to get a fantastic for well I guess I shouldn't say fantastic <laughs> till I hear how it went but a first experience with horseback riding I now know, obviously this is Daryl Lynn's life passion yes very big into horses very good at what she does with the equestrian center take us through what I know I got a the only update I got this weekend that was that your horse's name was Pistol. Pistol Pete, yes. But they called him Pistol. He was a very good boy. Okay. So he didn't buck you off? Well, he fell in love with Daryl Lynn in about 10 seconds. I'm thinking, dog, if, if I got to ride you, <laughs> you got to come this way a little bit. <laughs> but every picture that we got from the weekend, he's, I mean, I'm here. He, he's kind of doing this. <laughs> It, it was it was pretty sweet though. He he was very good. I was told by the gentleman that runs the stable, Keeve. Keeve was his name, and that's who we rented our our cabin from. Just make sure you understand. Let him know. Let him know who's boss. Don't be mean. Be firm, because he, <laughs> apparently he likes to eat what's called the salad bar. Everything that's green, so all the plants, trees, foliage, whatever. He likes to go for the salad bar. So just snap your. Snap it up a little bit. Just let him know and don't do that. So that that had to happen about 15 or 20 times <laughs> in the middle of the ride because he tried to get away with it, but trotted for a little bit. But just getting up on the horse for the first time, I don't realize how high up it was. It was Yeah, it, you're up there a little bit. I mean, you, you think you're standing next to a horse. Okay, beautiful. How, how does the animal have that much strength on those thin legs and right. all that? And you're taking your all that. But to hop on the horse and to see how high up it actually was, and I looked over at her and said, this is kind of high up. She said, oh. <laughs> and and she's like, was, yes, I do this every day. Well he, <laughs> was, well, he was going through how to get the horse to go, how to adjust the reins, how to go one hand, the other hand, get him to turn and all that, and about having to squeeze to get him to go. And I said, no wonder you're sore all the time. <laughs> but it was, it was very interesting. And I didn't... So is this like a group? ride or was it just y'all or we had five people total was the two of us and then there was a group of three women that also rode with us but they kept the two of us together they kept the three of them together we all went on the same trail right gotcha. and it was a lot more uphill downhill and the way that she put it it was it was a little bit advanced for at least from someone of my standpoint being on a horse for the first time and i wasn't as i wasn't as freaked out as i thought i was going to be okay but that's how that's just how good the horse was. That's how fun it was. Got a chance to let him let him get a drink. We stopped by the lake and just some of the views, just going through the woods. It was absolutely amazing. How just, long how long do you go? This was an hour trail ride. Oh, so my. it was it, it it was a test. See, I've only been on a horse once and it was actually not that long ago. It was when Rachel and I went on our honeymoon up in Pigeon Forge. We went on a horseback ride, but it was a fifteen minute little Round the round the world and back. <laughs> the, the the difference of the terrain, he would have to say going downhill. Make sure you lean back in your saddle. If you're going uphill, make sure you lean forward. Then you can grab the knob in the front of the saddle. Got to a point where it, it, it flattened out a little bit in the woods, and that's when he looked there and says, "Okay, who wants to trot?" I'm thinking, <laughs> uh, "They do. <laughs> I think these she does." <laughs> but once it got going, he said, "Make sure you make sure you." project your weight forward a little bit so it doesn't get too uncomfortable and make sure you can just move with the rhythm of the horse and you have to start the bouncing motion yeah had to, had to get the bouncing motion a little bit and she, Daryl was impressed she's 
she she said, look like I've done this. Well, I said, well, I've watched you for about five years now, so <laughs> I've tried to pick up a couple of things here and there and getting a chance to go out to Evermore Farm a couple of times and watch her work with all the horses at the Georgia Southern Equestrian Center. But being able to actually get on one and experience something new during a bye week, I, I don't know if I was planning on doing something for the very first time, <laughs> but it was it was definitely unique and something that something that I'll always be able to talk about for sure. Nice. You enjoy Jasper? God, it was beautiful. I oh. love it. I love North Georgia. In realizing just how close you were to Dahlonega, to Ella J, to I can't remember what what else the sign was. White Georgia's up there. Not terribly far from Helen. No, you're you're right up there on the same. But the cabin that we had overlooked uh, Lake Tamarack, which was Ooh. just awesome. And then we went to Amicalola Falls that afternoon, right after we rode to see the waterfall which was very pretty as well when i was a kid we used to go up to a campground called cooper's creek up in blairsville georgia so that's probably 20 25 minutes from where y'all were and we see i've never been up that part i think i mentioned that last week but whenever we had gotten the directions to get there he kept saying okay where are you from? We're coming from Statesboro, so we're going to go up through 16, I would imagine. He said, okay, you're going to go through Atlanta. So I'm looking at the map thinking, okay, North Georgia's here. Atlanta's here. He kept saying, you got to go through Atlanta. Well, why can't we just go? Ah, okay. No. Yeah. yeah the, no. We, we got some hairpins and some goosenecks up there. It, it, it gets funny yeah. pretty quickly up yeah. that area. <laughs> you probably went up close to my folks. Yeah, we did. By him. Okay, here's the second part of the story. When we came back on Sunday morning driving through Canton, we had a chance to pass by Truist Park. Oh. And look, I've been no secrets about being a Pirates fan, but getting a chance to drive by Truist Park and see the LED show World Series Bound, I thought about it. I'd never seen that in my life. Hmm. And just to yeah. think about what had just happened the night before there and what was about to happen for that franchise. That was that was awesome. Yeah, it's uh it's a lot of fun. I, if you look back in June, I wouldn't have told you we were going to be in the World Series. I don't think anybody would have believed that. that. Noise. But it's, I mean, you, Ross, Frank, I, where is Terry's baseball fandom? Terry's a Braves fan. Okay. He grew up in, we were talking about it earlier today, actually, because Elisa Lamar, newly with Georgia Southern Sports Property, she's a Braves fan. Her and Haley Blitch are actually going to go to the game on Friday, which I'm not talking to them until Friday. How did they manage that? Uh, long stories but what i will say is that even though i'm not a lifelong braves fan i will be watching and i will be pulling for atlanta this week it sounds good i, I know it's Houston's, amazing to me how many lifelong braves fans have come out of the woodworks oh, it's, it's amazing how many people are have been braves fans since the 90s okay calm down watching that game set because it was a long day but we sat there Watched we had cable at the at the cabin, so we sat there and watched and to watch Eddie Rosario continue to become a cult hero, to watch Tyler Matzik make mincemeat out of the Dodgers and watch the good version of Will Smith finish things off and Yeah, if it's postseason or an actual yeah. save situation, he's money. But to hear Ben Ingram's call oh. to watch the fans to see a moment like that, because I know it can't be easy to be an Atlanta sports fan, but to know that now you're back on the doorstep of a, of a World Series, something that hasn't been won since 95, haven't been there since 99, that's something that you can you can really be proud of. And I know part of it's because I'm a radio dork. We're radio dorks. But 
seeing they had a GoPro in the booth, and I was listening to Ben and Joe's call on Braves Radio in the ninth inning, and <laughs> with two outs, he said, man, you know it's a big situation when Jonathan Chadwick comes down from his engineer tower to sit down with him. <laughs> See, I was wondering about that. I, I figured it was him sitting right in the middle, but for the... For the video the way it was, I would have figured it would just been those two because the other ones. It normally is. And Joe Simpson came on and said, yeah, he's saying if he passes out, one of us has to catch him. Fair okay. <laughs> but it, uh, <laughs> and that group, three really good dudes. Ben Ingram has been through a lot. Jonathan Chadwick doesn't get his name mentioned nearly enough for what he does for the Braves Radio Network. And it's, uh, it's cool to see what is normally our view from somebody else's view, yeah. if that makes sense. So it was, if you haven't seen it, I think the Braves put it out from the Braves official account on Twitter. But uh, go go and check that out. So that starts tomorrow and Wednesday, Thursday travel, Friday, Saturday, yes. at minimum in Atlanta. Correct. Yeah, it would be Friday, Saturday, if necessary, Sunday in Atlanta. And then, if necessary, going back Tuesday, Wednesday in Houston, I think. I don't know. I know they start tomorrow. I know it starts at 8 o'clock and Charlie Morton's taking the bump. That's all I know. That's all I need to know. Who's going for Houston? Uh, I have no idea. Doesn't matter. I probably should know by now. Doesn't matter. I, I felt know. like I should have known that too. Yeah, it's fine. I figured it would have been Morton because he would have been your Game 7 guy. Yeah, and you probably want Ian Anderson going in Atlanta. Uh, Valdez going for Houston. Oh, he was good last time out. Really yeah. good. Hopefully he used it all there. <laughs> So, but it'll be fun to watch the Braves coming up this week in the World Series. Just saying that is fantastic. But we got Georgia State coming into Allen E. Paulson Stadium on Saturday. 6 o'clock the kickoff. We'll be on the air at 4 o'clock with the Cutwater Tailgate Show. For the voice of the Eagles, Danny Reed. Until Thursday, this is Colin Lacey saying so long, everybody. You've been listening to Inside Eagle Nation, powered by Learfield the official podcast of Georgia Southern Athletics.